0: You're now tuned in to the Desire to Trade podcast, a show where we bring you the best figures of the trading world and teach you how you can become a successful trader. This is your host, Etienne Crette.
1: All right, everyone, it's I'm with Joshua Belanger. He is the founder of Optionsizzle.com. It's a trader, an entrepreneur, and I'm really happy to have him today. He's going to bring, I think, a lot of different uh, views on the podcast. So hi, Joshua. What's going on? Ethan, nice to meet you, and thanks for having me. Everything's going well here. That's pretty cool. So you're in Chicago, right?
0: I am. The nice,
1: windy city of Chicago. <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> so I want to start off by asking you one quote that you really like. So the one that I like here
0: is the market is a cruel teacher at times. She gives you the test first and then teaches you the lesson later.
1: <laughs> I like it. Who is that from exactly?
0: Uh, you know what? I, I write down a lot of quotes that I come up that come up in my head. I'm not going to take credit for it, but there's a lot of them that I come up with. And I think this one had came off a, a time where I think I was coming off a little bit of a loss. So this was one of those ones that I had typed in there, or had heard, and I just kind of keep a, a file of quotes to kind of revert back to when uh, when times get a little bit tough or when things are good. <laughs> okay, that's cool. So what's going on these days exactly for you? Yeah, well, you know, the U.S. market here is uh, is uh, crashing up higher with uh, the Federal Reserve and all the other easing going on around the world from the People's Bank of China, so uh for my type of trading, it hasn't really been that, that fun the last two weeks.
1: <laughs> okay. So you said you're an entrepreneur as well as the founder of Option Sizzle. So can you tell us a little bit what Option Sizzle is exactly?
0: Yeah. So I started Option Sizzle in 2008 when I left the financial industry and really yeah. kind of at the perfect time. I was managing money as well. Uh, in another good time to start doing that, but in the financial crisis. So I wanted to focus in on options because I had taken a strong interest in options when I passed my Series 7. And when I was in the financial industry, uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to do things with options because of how firms operate. So when I placed my first trade after I passed my Series 7 when I was 21, I lost uh, a cool $2,000 in a matter of a day. So even as a professional and having a Series 7 and working in a financial firm, I had no idea how options worked and that's kind of what started my journey. I took a really strong focus with options even when I was studying because I had heard that's the hardest part and from there I just kind of gravitated toward towards options because of the the leverage, the opportunities that it provides and just kind of f- have focused on that for the last ten years. And when I had worked in the financial industry, a lot of people are very scared of options because of what the financial firms provide or, or tell clients. And it's one hundred percent incorrect. So when I would talk to people about options, they didn't have much knowledge on it. And that's where Option Sizzle started to develop in my focus on.
1: And did you start off first with uh, options or you traded something else before?
0: Uh, my first trade really was, was options. I always I gravitated towards options. I worked at the floor in the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which is a futures floor. Uh, so leverages was always something I was interested in. And being 21, I didn't have much money. So I enjoyed the opportunity that options could provide. Now, how to use them correctly is kind of the start of the journey once you learn about options, there's a journey to it, and understanding how leverage works and probabilities and things of that sort. So I, I trade futures because of the leverage, but I don't really do too much with equities or you know anything. I know that you trade Forex. Um, when I was working at a firm, I did, st- I, I did with a partner. We worked in the Forex market. I just never gravitated to, towards it. Um, I always focused in on options.
1: How long did it take you to learn everything?
0: Yeah, so I'm still learning. <laughs> okay. 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 You know, that's the, that's the thing about uh, investing. And it's, it's a great thing. It's also a frustrating thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I look at the financial markets as this. It's pretty much like the sea. <laughs> there's, <laughs> okay. there's a lot of opportunity on the floor of the, of the ocean. A lot of gold, a lot of treasure. There's also a lot of mystery out there. And it's exactly how the financial markets work. No one knows anything, and times where you think they do, you know, it could be luck. There's no exact science to it. There's no exact way, and there's so much that goes into it. It's it's almost just as kind of the vast ocean. It's just a mystery. You know what's what's underneath the water.
1: So basically, you sent me an email in advance with a topic that's pretty interesting. I found with uh, it's 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 related to mutual fund, basically.
0: Yes. So in the U.S. here, you know, mutual funds are really really big and kind of going with that whole philosophy, or not philosophy, but the theory, you know, that the market is a mystery and you know, kind of like, you know, why why even try almost. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people do go with mutual funds, or they've been told to go with mutual funds. So I don't know how. It is exactly in Canada because it's two different systems. So you know maybe you can let me know a little bit, but I can assume that's pretty much it. May be the same. I don't think Canadians are more uh, <laughs> have more of an appetite for the financial markets than than U.S. investors or.
1: I think most people are a little bit afraid to invest, or either they invest and experience some loss, and then they they stop after and just turn to a mutual fund or something like that.
0: Yeah, which is which is interesting, because it's you, people will spend a couple hours on Facebook, <laughs> wasting their time, but never put the pieces the pu- pieces of the puzzle together and think to themselves, yeah, "I just spent, you know, five hours just sitting away and wasting my time," where they trade their time for their money, and you know, I don't I don't know. Why so many people lack the I, I, I guess thirst comes to mind, or the, the opportunity or the, the desire to try to learn how to manage their money successfully. You know, I, we, we live in a different society, and I know you're a little bit younger than myself, and you know in a lot of the audience that we that we're talking to or listening to this is, you know, probably a little bit older. Um, but in the seventies, you know, there's a lot of unions. In the sixties, there's a lot of unions, which those have kind of went away. And the unions, uh, you, like a lot of baby boomers at this point, a lot of them have that counted on these unions because they took care of their workers. We live in a different society now. We live in a different culture, and it's a kind of a one eighty of that. So, a lot of that burden of taking care of their retirement was on the unions or those employee, employers. Now, it's up to the individual investor. It's up to you and I or you know, just the everyday person because companies don't care about their workers as they did years ago.
1: So, why not investing in a mutual fund? What's, what's the problem with it?
0: Well, mutual funds were started for the whole factor. One of the factors, not the, the whole point, but... um. Retirement accounts, specifically, were started for bigger corporations or bigger, bigger corporations to defer some of the taxes. Now, banks caught on to that, and once that transition started, where unions were not wanting to take on the risk uh, because of how the markets worked, there was more fear. There was more things going on. They just kind of started to push it off. So the banks took advantage of that and said, "Hey, you know, we'll do it for you." you know it's a it's it's a, it's a good selling point well all that transition comes with opportunity where the banks look at that and say they're not out there to be your friend so what ha- what has happened over the years is that this this myth of these retirement accounts and which mutual funds a lot of them you know operate on or mutual funds in general you know are the 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 opportunity for you to be passive and you know let someone else do it and the fact is is that 95% of these mutual funds underperform and they have for a long time and one of the reasons why is because of their fees you know that's that's not a knock against them but that's how they get paid and you know one of the best things that you can do right away is to take your money out of a mutual fund and put it into an ETF at least something like a, you know here in the United States In our markets, we have the S&P 500. So the ETF for that is the SPY. Mm -hmm. And at least then you can save yourself thousands on commissions in the U.S. Mm
1: -hmm. But then how do you pick the right ETF to put your money in?
0: Well, there's two different kinds of – well, there's kind of a couple different ways. I mean, you either either look at it as this, the – The mutual funds, what they do is they they try. They're they're a blend, and it's really essentially the S and P five hundred. The S and P five hundred is five hundred stocks, and what they do is they try to pick the the best stocks. And you know the 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 sexy hook that they sell is, we're going to pick the best stocks, or we have a proprietary system. (laughs) Everyone has proprietary systems. Well, there's nothing proprietary on Wall Street. Everything. Is all about liquidity, and when you have billions upon billions of dollars, you have to go into the same names. There's no uniqueness on Wall Street. All the mutual funds go after the same mutual funds because you know, they have to go where liquidity is at. Because if they have redemptions, which do happen, they have to be able to get out of it. So, right there, that's you, know, you could say it's a myth bust, myth buster. But that's just one way to kind of blow a hole in their whole proprietary system. Now giving that up and saying, okay, that makes sense. You know, what do you do? Well, if you just don't want to do anything, you know, I, I would really say if you don't you're honestly better off doing something else with your money. If you have no interest in the financial markets, a lot of people get involved with it because it's what's been told to them. Mm-hmm. it's been said hey you know if you invested in berkshire 30 years ago it would be xxx if you would have done this stock if you would have done that stock and they only focus in on the few. well in the equity universe there's thousands of stocks and they don't talk about the ones that blew up or not blew up but went bankrupt went out of business uh got taken under and things of that sort so yeah we could focus in on the good ones but the reality is is that you getting into the good one at the exact time, at the exact place, and holding on for this many years, very unlikely. So if you have no interest in the markets, I honestly say that you're probably better off doing something else because at least then you can have the opportunity to do something. Now, your question was what ETFs, probably the best one and the, uh, the benchmark would be the S&P 500. And that would be the uh, SPY, which is the standard – or the – yeah, the SPY is the ETF. I don't know who exactly uh, created that ETF, but that's the most – one of the most liquid ETFs um, and also spread-wise. So spread, I'm familiar with it in the Forex market, but the spread on on getting in and out of that is always going to be very liquid and within pennies. When you get into something like a price line – even though that's a $500 stock, the spreads on those are a little bit wider. So you always want to go with something that's liquid. um, And that's the benefit of the financial markets than something like real estate is that you can get in and you can get out pretty quickly.
1: Is it basically something anyone can do or you would say some people would have a hard time doing it? The thing with the ETF is it's going to
0: save you fees. Mm -hmm. And if we had a chart and we can show a chart and we we can show the fact of, the old, the old uh, Albert Einstein quote about compound interest being your best friend or I forget exactly how it goes. But when you take away in a mutual fund, when you take fees away, you take that compounding factor away. And when you, when you look at it over you know, maybe one or two years, you're like, oh, okay, not a big deal. But when you, when you plot it out, especially with mutual funds, when they're, you, you, where you're in a retirement account and you can't touch it, and that's the whole fact is longevity or the long-term investing aspect of it. Well, when you look 10, 15 years, that's a lot of money that you missed out on because of your paying fees. Now, if you go into an ETF, the, there is a little bit of fees, but it, they're very minimum. I think it's like point, like 25 basis points or something like that. Um, I it's, it's actually even lower than that. I think they just lowered it. I think it's like about 11 basis points. But you're talking about 11 basis points compared to 200. So, uh, with the mutual fund. So you can see the difference right then. And what you're saying when you go into the ETF is, hey, Josh, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. I'm not really interested in trying to beat the market. So I'll just go with what the market does. And that's, that's the best outcome of, if you said mutual funds or an ETF, I'd say ETF. And then from ETF, we could talk about other things. But <laughs> the first step is to get money out of the greedy hands of these financial firms and Wall Street, because they're not doing anything, and you have to. My my belief is we have to make them more accountable. And we look at sports teams, and everyone wants to you know get upset about their favorite sports team um, losing. And you know every week on talk radio, they're talking about how uh, this player sucks and that player sucks, and all of a sudden he plays good. And you know so critical of these players on a on a day to day to week to week time frame where these managers underperform and no one cares and they make mm-hmm. tons of money
1: you know that's pretty true i think most people end up just being passive about their investments simply so
0: passive about investments but active in sports which have no bearing on their lives now it's a hobby i understand that but you know i don't know what is going to wake people up you know i think it's a little bit of the embarrassment that people have because no one's taught how to invest and then they go into the market and they lose it all or they lose a lot of it and then they kind of, you know, feel like a loser and, you know, have all these negative beliefs that go with it and I, you know, I understand that but there there are brighter days and you have to, you know, a lot of people that I look to help are those people that are behind in retirement or even the fact is is that they're at this point saying I got to work the rest of my life. I mean, my my poor uh, great grandma. She had a, she worked until she passed away of cancer. And, I mean, she enjoyed work, but she didn't have any retirement.
1: You take your money out of the mutual fund, then put it in, let's say, the SPY. But then you just leave it there and wait. Or is there anything you can do in the meantime? Well, first you write a letter and you say screw you guys, you suck.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, no, I mean, that, that would be nice if you know, some people did that. but uh, um, I, And I say that out of kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I actually kind of mean that. You know, Screw you guys, you suck, I'm going to do better. Because you can do better. You can do much better than them because they don't know. Technology, information has, at this point, leveled the playing field between... "Quote unquote," the professional, and also what we refer to ourselves as retail investors, do-it-yourself investors, retail traders, and that kind of stuff. The only difference between a professional and somebody that does it themselves is we have a salary cap. You know, we only have we only have the money that we have. Your account is different than my account. Whoever you know, everyone listening has different. Account sizes, so I say that kind of like a, a team we have, every team has a different salary cap, and you have to kind of play within that and, and figure out what's going to work best for you and also your risk for appetite um, mutual funds or professional investors traders and so forth they're always gathering assets they have redemptions they're gathering assets, so essentially they always have access to money so they're not really in a situation where you know they have to worry about things or and they're not saying they're a careless but it's different when you're trading other people's money compared to your own money or investing it. So that would be the first step. And, and what I'm saying is, you know, writing it down on a piece of paper because you're actually doing something, you're taking a stance. And, that, and that's the, really the first step be, between this because a lot of people just kind of hide their quarterly reports or their um, statements. You know, they don't want to look at it and they're like, oh, I'll deal with it later. Well, when later comes, the reality is is that you didn't do anything about it ten years ago. And you know, now you gotta pay the piper. So the the thing I'm saying is that you writing it down or you saying something, you're taking a stance and you're doing something, you're taking a step forward. Um so a little bit in tongue in cheek, yeah, you don't have to mail that to them, but you know, it should bring some it should bring some control into your life. You should you should feel good about, hey, look, win or lose. At least I'm in control of this, not some firm on Wall Street or some you know, so-called expert that could be taking on risk that I would never do myself. And they blow up or they, you know, the, the, the mutual fund gets, uh, uh, goes out or gets liquidated or something like that. Do you want to be dictated by that, by what their choices were? And and you know in there in trusting in, they, in these people that you have no idea who they are, or would you rather at least learn how to do it yourself and win or loss. Feel good about the fact that you actually had control of it instead of trying to let other people uh, have that outcome or do it for you. So and that would be the first step. And and with mutual funds, you know, a lot of times they have. You know different types of fee structures to get in and get out, but they're relatively easy to to get out of if you want to. If you're not really that comfortable about, hey Josh, I'm all on your boat. I have a hundred thousand dollars in mutual funds, but I hear you. I'm just not sure. At least take you know a quarter of it out, fifty percent of it out, and and maybe you you do it like what I'm saying. Go with the SPI, SPY ETF here in the United States. You know I don't know what exactly Canada has. But relative to what um, the uh, all the market comes to, or the world comes to the U.S. because of liquidity. So uh, a lot of the uh, Canada, Europe, China, everyone comes to the United States because of liquidity. So it's easy for me to say, yeah, I just come to the U.S. But I know there's a lot of different restrictions in Canada and um, countries don't like money leaving their shores. So you would have to find something that's like the SPY in Canada which is very liquid, you know, and, 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 and has diversity of 500 stocks and, and to kind of go into that and, and maybe just compare the two and say, oh, yeah, you know, this kind of does make sense. I do see where I'm saving the money. I do see, you know, and, and then kind of then go from there and say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on board with this. I'll liquidate the rest of that mutual fund.
1: No, I would say the SPY is probably the main thing, even here in Canada. Okay. Because we, we, we could definitely invest in the TSX or something, but it's, in the end, it's not Like it's not that liquid, so we're much better with the uh, the SPY, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's why I was thinking TSX, but you know I'm not sure the liquidity on that and everything else. But yeah, I mean the easiest thing is SPY, why? Because you get the you get 500 stocks. Now from there, if you wanted to kind of blend it up a little bit and you know go into some different ETFs, you know that's where the door opens up for you, and that's where the the active part of it starts to begin. So I mean that's. Discussion later down the road, but at least that's the first step. That's if you just did that, that would be saving you thousands. And I mean, I I, I could say thousands and and you know be fine with that. It saves you a lot of money down the road, where you're not paying for some fund person to underperform and and do nothing and you underperform more than what you would do on your
1: own because they're taking their they have their hand in your pocket. I'm pretty sure there are some good mutual funds out there, right? I mean, I, I, sure, I guess. I mean, you got It's all luck, pick, and mm-hmm. you have to be lucky, I guess. Let's in, in the the
0: the real percentage is 95 percent of them every year underperform. Now, okay. like we, like I disclose, not to to beat them over the head and say they're all bad and they're all evil and you know yada yada. The reason why they underperform is first of all they have their fee that they take out It'll automatically puts you in the hole. The second reason is that they do have redemptions that come up where that, that pushes them out of certain positions or, and so forth. So they're always having to rotate money. Not the best excuse, but it is an excuse. It's not, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy in the middle, a lot of times hearing both sides of it and, and not here to, to sway in to, to do one thing. But the reality is, is that, okay, we go with your, your thought. You know, maybe there is a hot, hot person. Hot cools down. Hot goes from cold, cold goes from hot. So the, you have to do a ton of research to find the next one, to be where the, the puck is going, you know, whatever analogy you want to use. You have to do all this kind of research. You have to then get into it, then you have to get out of it, and you have to be on top of it. Why even waste all that time? Why do all that? Why don't you just you, – you're better off doing it yourself and, again, going with the whole belief – I can do just as good as they can. You know, what, what mutual, is a mutual fund really going to do 100% return or 50% return? And, and those are crazy numbers. Let's just keep a comparison. Let's just do, you, let's say next year the S&P 500 does a 10% return. And you sit with all the fluctuations up, down, down, fine. But if you did it yourself, you made 13% doing it yourself is is three percent extra beneficial for you i say yeah not only did you learn you took control and you're going to be better off in year two and and it's a skill that's gonna that i think everyone should have in their life i think it's it's part of being a ceo of your life mm-hmm.
1: no i definitely like that, that yeah i definitely like that concept of being ceo of your life that's you know
0: cool. so many people love their pets Mm-hmm. They wouldn't just let some random stranger on the corner <laughs> watch their pet, but they let random strangers watch their money.
1: Mm-hmm. Once you have your money in the SPY, i say, is there anything else you can do or you just leave it there?
0: Well, then, you know, there's different opportunities there. So, you know, with, with what a lot of people learn when it comes to investing is that they learn they need to be diversified and, you know, be in bonds and all this, you know, Stuff in, in equities, and you got to be, you know, eighty to ninety percent invested with ten percent cash. Well, if that was if that were a scenario that worked, and maybe it worked thirty years ago when you know there wasn't as many fluctuations as there are now, and volatility, which volatility is good, then when that if, if you were invested that heavily, and in August when the market declined rapidly. You likely had margin calls, and you had to liquidate your positions to be able to meet those margin calls. Margin call is when the firm says, "Hey, you need to deposit more money because you have the, uh, your your positions have gone against you, and you kind of have to get back to even here. You got to pony up some money, or we have to liquidate some of your positions so you're not negative." Um, so, if that's the case, and and we do that, then you know that's that's a case that active manager sell because they have to keep your money invested. If they don't keep money invested, then they don't earn their their fees. So it's no benefit to them. And that's why they, you know, this whole thing of hedging. Hey, we're hedged. There's no such thing as hedging. You can't hedge. You're you're paying for something that you probably won't use and then you have to make that back up on a return. There's no such thing as there's no never a clean hedge and there's no they say this as a sole point To say your money's protected, don't worry. But we also have we keep it invested because that's how we get our fees. Because if they take their, because if you thought, and it's kind of this burst this whole hedging part of it out. Most people pick direction when you pick when you you buy a stock, you're picking a direction. And if you think that it's going to go lower, then you get out of that. Why? You know why, why sit in it? If you think it's going to go lower, you're going to try to hedge that. That doesn't. The way you hedge that is you sell it. So you know that's this kind of the things that mutual funds do because that's it's just how they operate. Kind of understanding that, and they have to do that to get their uh, their fees. So my point is, is if we get away from the equities, equities are good for big players with money. You know, funds that have millions, billions of dollars because that's that's how they have to operate. The little guy, we don't have that. We have salary caps. So we have to utilize our capital the best we can. And that's where options come into play. And with options, you can do things in the SPY where you could sell puts. Like here in the U.S., you know, options, you could sell a put, which is theoretically the same type of position of being long stock. And we can kind of flip that 80-20 to 20-80 where you use 20% of your account and have 80% in cash and I know for a lot of people, that's, whoa, why would I ever do that? You know, I, I'm, I, I subscribe to this old school theory. Well, that's before options were really at the point where they are now. And you, you have to understand that you can make the same type of returns with 20% of your capital invested and 80% in cash. You, with your salary cap, you have to keep cash. That is a legit position. And and when you and when there's opportunity, you want that extra cash to be able to take advantage of it, and also to kind of bail yourself out when when something does go against you, which is going to which is going to happen. That's why you always want to make sure you have the capital available.
1: But I feel like for most people, though, investing in option isn't that easy, right? Or do people get confused in general about it. Well, so investing
0: is long term. Investing is if we kind of just kind of single out the words investing is um growth you invest Mm -hmm. because you want you want it to grow options don't really work that way they go they go the other direction so it's more of an active approach where it's not you have to be a day trader because that's not what i'm trying to subscribe you to the thought is is this if you sat and yes if you if you held on to apple at 10 bucks and it's up to you know 300, 400, 500, then reverse splits and you're still in it. Yeah, that, okay, the chances of you sitting in that position for that many, that time frame and never selling it, I, I, it's, it's hard to say that you would do that because I, I don't believe it. Not, people don't work that way. Many don't operate that way. The only time you would do that is if you had a lot of money and you can sit on positions and you can look and have that. A lot of us don't have that, so you get antsy, you kind of take, you get fearful, You know, those emotions kind of play into your decision making. Um, So when you when we say investing with options or when you say it, it's more of what we're doing with with options is we're chipping away at the marketplace. We're being a little bit more active than just saying, hey, I'm just going to be passive about it. And, you know, seven years, I'm just going to open my statement and hope because that hasn't worked. And why it hasn't worked is because that's what baby boomers are in that situation right now. They bought into the whole buy into IBM, buy into Microsoft, buy into these stocks. And in early 90s, it worked. Everyone who bought something, um, dumb investors put money into the market, made money. And then the dot-com happened. And then they lost it all. And then that's where the the change in the market started to occur with more volatility, more things started to occur. And from there, those baby boomers haven't been able to recover. And that's why they're in the position that they are now. And when you when you don't have the time, you can't you don't have that the Albert Einstein philosophy behind you. You don't you don't have time for compound interest. You don't have time for that because it compound interest takes years to occur. You have to be more active, and when you are a little bit more active, which options do provide, you can chip away at the marketplace and kind of stack those wins up and really play it that way, which I think is better because, you know, yeah, on paper you have this percent, but you don't really have a return until you sell it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get appraised. I can have a painting, and I could have bought the painting for 100 bucks, and I have some appraiser come in. And they say, "Oh, it's worth a thousand dollars." Okay, wow, that's a really good return, right? Well, when I go to sell it, how many people are willing to buy it? You know, it, it could be only like two people that are actually interested in this. And you know, because that person knows that they're, it's worth a thousand, they're not going to offer me a thousand. They're probably going to offer me seven hundred, you know, maybe five hundred. So you know, it's all relative to that, and probably not the best example. But what I'm trying to say is. Returns are only good after you bank them. So you you got to get away from you know, the whole fact of if I only had this or if I only got this at then. With options, you really diversify your risk if you trade them the correct way and you can really um, control the type of risk that you want to take to achieve the type of return.
1: So maybe for the beginner out there who don't know anything about the option, what exactly can you do with it?
0: Well, with options, they're a derivative, and, and they're a little bit more complex than buying a mutual fund or buying a stock. Um, but options work in a way where you can be – in the same way, in the, the financial markets. the only market that you can be a buyer and seller. So if you went to Las Vegas, you couldn't be – you couldn't just open up a casino. You can't be the casino. You can't have your embedded edge. So with options, you can be a buyer and seller. Now – options are all wrapped around probabilities and that's the good thing about them because now you can put context around an underlying you know apple last night had earnings and i believe that the market had priced in a $6 range up or down well apple in the morning opened up i think around a dollar so $5 was overpriced and because of that uncertainty options carry a higher premium typically and that carries the probabilities where if you were a seller of those options you did you did relatively well because you sold an option and now you buy it back cheaper if you're a buyer of an option because you got giddy about apple and like most most people getting started with options get excited about wow apple iphone 6s i have it i see a ton of people there i'm going to go all in they're going to they're going to blow out numbers well the market already knows that it's already priced into options. So, the options you buy the option contract, you know maybe I had sold that to you and you and you bought it. Well, you paid six dollars for it, and depending on which contract, because each contract and options have different expirations. Um, so, you know maybe the one contract you bought, you bought it at six, and now it's only worth three. And that, and that's what happened to me on my first option trade. That's exactly what happened to me. I got excited about uh, uh, your Canadian company at that time, Blackberry. Research in Motion. And I uh, this is a long time ago, but and you know, this is when, when this is when you know Research in Motion was was the was the company and everyone had to have a Blackberry. But um, you know, I played earnings, I bought calls and and uh, just the next day uh, prices, I, I think were up just a little bit, but, um, I bought out of, out of the money calls and, uh, just as fast as I entered that trade and the next day it opened up and it was pretty much all
1: gone. <laughs> okay. But I feel like option is a lot more complicated than simply buying or selling a stock, right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, there's complexity in all things in life. When you first started walking, You didn't come out of the womb learning how to walk. There's complexity to riding a bike. I mean, everything in life is complex until you learn it. You know, you're not, I think that's where a lot of people get frustrated or think when they come into the financial markets that they have, you know, they go to school for four years to learn a communication degree or to obtain a communication degree or, you know, a teaching degree or whatever degree it is why why go do that and then skip on something that actually really matters and even if you trade stocks there's complexity I mean yeah you can you know essentially you could you could buy you buy a stock I mean you flip a coin that's a probability it's a fifty fifty probability if you buy a stock it's gonna go up or down flip a coin there's you don't have to do too much else there's a natural bias in the marketplace because um, Mutual funds and all these funds that have money are long only, so there's a natural drift in the marketplace <clears throat> but um when it comes to stocks, yeah I mean it's easier but when when with options you're more strategic, and when you become more strategic, yes, there is complexity because now you're 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 game planning now you're trying to you're trying to you know dance with the marketplace, or you know, these are kind of things that I say, but yeah, I mean there's a little bit more complexity, but I don't see that as a bad thing. I see that as a good thing.
1: Well, I got to say, I'm pretty interested in options since even a few years. And I know a lot of people probably are interested in that too. And I know you've, you've written a book, right? Feel less investing with option. Yeah, that's something I, I
0: worked on for a few years. And right now I'm just kind of going through the final, final draft. I have a uh, digital available on optionsizzle.com, but, um, we're actually going to put it into uh, print not that many people read hard books, but hey, you know, it's a cool novelty thing. Was, we're doing the final uh, revision right now, kind of just going through, because there's there is there's a little bit of complexity to it and especially when you're teaching it, you want to make sure that you're right on as well and there's a lot of things that you can, you, you have to kind of double check, triple check and make sure that, you know, you're explaining this exactly the right way. So I, I created it, we put it out there in the digital form for sale um, kind of going through it with a very, very fine tooth comb. And I'm trying to get that that book published in print by the beginning of uh, quarter one of 2016.
1: And who is that book for? Is it for complete starters, or is it for people who already know a little bit about options?
0: So I I wrote this book before, and I really was disappointed. I wrote it a few years ago, and I was really disappointed. And... I went through it and I, I overhauled everything. And I really wrote it for myself when I had first started. I wrote it to the young, young Josh, 21 years old, before he placed his first option trade. Um, even though, like I said, I studied options, there was no context around how to use options. So a lot of times you'll learn about options and you kind of learn the very, very basic concepts of options and then there's the other part of it where the context of options why how kind of the the different variables and what to look for and you know kind of really a navigational part of it that's how i wrote the book fearless investing for, for options i really started it on a core foundation where there's not any book that i know of is going to do this for you it's me taking you by the hand and saying so your question was, is it for beginners or non-beginners? It's for anyone that's struggling with options, essentially. You know, it's, it's that point because a lot of people get started with options and they say, I've done options. I've done this course and that course, but they still struggle. Okay. You may think, you know, options, but obviously you're still struggling. So let's go all, we have to take you all the way back because I don't know where you're at and I don't know what you know. So this is the beginning. Let's go all the way back here. And that's how I I walk somebody through because I want to build them on a, strong foundation of understanding how options work and really taking them step by step hand by hand so once you are done with that book you should have and my goal is to have provided you a clear foundation of what to do next and what to do next is there's no secret go put on one trade one contract it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt you it's your batting practice it's your practice kicks you have to have skin in the game but one contract is not going to lose you money and it's not going to make you a ton of money. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's kind of the understanding and because it's about applying. So I didn't want to overkill somebody and be like, hey, you know, this stock and this strategy because strategies are only a part of it when, in being strategic. It's really understanding the, the, when oppor- opportunities present themselves and when they don't, how to do this and how to do that, why, when, and what if.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely agree taking action is a completely different thing for sure.
0: Yeah, and, and a lot of people fail. I mean, I've had people buy the book and then tell me, "Hey, I bought the book." Uh but how do you, you know, how do you put on your first trade or something like that? <laughs> like something mm-hmm. like out of the blue like if they they think that they you know, they have bought a book that magically if they sleep on it, like they've acquired the information. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So how can people find you?
0: The best way to find me is at optionsizzle.com. You can uh, go there. We, or I write out a daily email, which I'm going to start working on for today's email here, a short little daily email, which, which was really helpful to investors to just really keep them on course. Um, It's tips, investing tips and tricks and kind of, you know, relating everyday stuff to kind of how things work in the financial markets or, um, you know, I- investing in general and things of that sort. So you sign up for the daily email, which I 125% believe you should do. We also have a few different reports. So some of the things that I covered in the, uh, with the mutual funds, I actually have a report on that, which is free that you can download at optionsizzle.com. And it's over on the left-hand side. And you also will see a couple other free reports that I put together.
1: Pretty cool. We'll check that for sure. I want to remind the listeners, Joshua, that, that the show notes for these podcasts are all on this com forward slash Joshua. So you can find everything there. I'll make sure to have a link to your book and a link to your website, as well as a link to your free report for sure. So, Joshua, is there anything, any last thought you have for the listener?
0: I just hope you guys, uh, at least one of you, gets a little bit uh, angered up and decides to make a change for themselves. Yeah, that's, that's it. So, I appreciate the opportunity to let me, let me talk to these people and, and hopefully have their, their ear and get a couple people fired up about being able to have the confidence to be able to do it themselves.
1: All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this podcast. And I'll see you in the next episode of the Desert Fit Podcast. Bye.